let's not put any more money in this. Let's actually run some ads and see that it works. And I think sometimes you can kind of become too sort of engrossed in that product development side that it's like, have you had that validation from the market? So yeah, my advice would be to try and keep costs low until you figure out, okay, this is something that people, you know, really want. Anthony, how's it going, man? Hey, man, how's it going? Good, good to see you. It's been it's been a while. I'm glad uh, I'm glad we're doing this and making it happen. Yeah, you are. Yeah. <laughs> so you're in the UK right now. Yeah, um, so I'm back. I'm you... back in back in London. It's actually sunny back. for a uh, for oh. a change, which is good. <laughs> Beautiful. Are you are you uh, planning on traveling more? Or was we, we met in Mexico? Is that is that like a one time thing? Or are you planning on continuing to travel a bit? Yeah, I mean, that's still on the agenda. Um, the kind of the way I usually like to do it is maybe, you know, three, four months away somewhere and then come back for a similar amount of time. Usually that's enough, um, you know, before I want to head out again. But I kind of find having a sort of like going to one place, spending a bit of time there, not traveling too quickly, just kind of, you know, setting up shop um, and then sort of coming back home to integrate that and figure out, you know, what just happened essentially that's sort of the cycle um, and it's been working I, feel so that. I think that's the that's the that's the plan what about you yeah, man you're going to, is it your where are you off to next guatemala yeah i think so i don't know for sure so you know mexico i i, I need to take a page of the yearbook i've been moving a little too fast but after mexico i felt like okay i need to go like <laughs> chill for a minute um yeah. so i came here to, to north carolina to chill and then i'm going to be going to um I think I think Guatemala, but we'll see what I what I feel in a month. We'll oh, okay, nice. Time will tell. So just some somewhere out of the states, south, south, south America yeah. specifically. <laughs> I think so, as I want to stay in like these time zones. Right, got you. So, so Anthony, your your background is in e-commerce specifically. Like that's that's your your area. How did you get into? How did you fall into that? How did that happen? Yeah, so I was working at an agency at the time um, in Amsterdam. This is a few years ago now. And um, at the time, I was kind of working as a strategist. And I was seeing a couple friends of mine, like my friend and his brother. Uh, well, they're close friends now, uh, both of them. And, you know, I was just seeing them doing all this dropshipping stuff. And they were just, you know, traveling the world, kind of doing it there like see you know from the outset just looking at them like wow like you know what 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 is it you guys are doing because i think at that time especially this sort of whole digital nomad thing has kind of it wasn't as prevalent as it is now and you know i was just kind of looking at them i was like okay well i just want to sort of figure out you know what you guys have done essentially and kind of reached out to one of them we we kind of chatted about it a lot and it kind of transpired that i ended up going to going to live with them in Colombia for a few months and really kind of got like a masterclass, you know, in marketing. These guys have been deep in the space for years. Wait, is um, this Jamie? Jamie, Jamie's been around, man. He's been like deep in like this in is, the MLM This is stuff. the same guy though? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's oh, Jamie. Okay, sorry, continue. Yeah, okay. yeah, I know, I know. Yeah, but um, he's actually, when it comes to marketing stuff, he's, he's really, uh, you know, he's, he's, he's really a top level guy. Um, like he was helping, there was a guy called Dave Wood, who was like one of the OG MLM guys back in like 2013. And he sort of, he was the brain, the brains behind that, um, operation. So yeah, kind of like had a bit of a, um, just complete 
overhaul on or you know on my e-commerce experience like totally different from what i'd learned at the agency a lot more you know essentially there's this entrepreneurial element where you know you're just controlling the whole aspect every part of the business right it's not just you know like the ads or one thing that you've been hired for it's just everything so it was kind of a complete uh complete lesson so what what were you doing specifically like did you have your own company that you were doing this for or yeah you, so you, well at the time so when i went over to um you know to work with them essentially we had a few different brands that we kind of set up and it started it was more like uh, drop shipping stuff essentially so what that would be is um you know it's i mean the fidget spinners are the, the kind of like quintessential product but they were literally you know thousands of these and that we would kind of be you know searching the the depths of you know aliexpress alibaba to find okay what is this next product that's just gonna hit big um and yeah that's that was kind of my um that was my starting point with with the e-commerce and you know we we essentially um found a few products and it and it's always the ones that you would least expect you know you're just like this is just no one's no one's gonna buy that but it the world's a funny place man you never you never quite know you know you think you've got it and the, and then it's just another product that uh that kind of blows it out of the water so let's talk about dropshipping for a second i this is something i'm curious about and i told you that so when i was in college i you know, everyone was getting into drop shipping and I'm like, okay, I'm going to take a stab at it. So I went on Alibaba and I bought like a thousand of these phone cases Yeah. and I tried selling them on Shopify and my customer acquisition cost was like, like 70 bucks to sell like a $40 phone case. Yeah. So yeah. that sucked. That so not, I ended up just like numbers. selling them up on like, yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> so I ended up just selling them on like uh, Facebook marketplace and offer up and you know, it's like Craigslist. Yeah. Um, so that that was a failure. What makes what makes a dropshipping product like successful? Like, is it is it all about the marketing? Is it about having a variety of products? What are, what are some of the variables that lead to success? Yeah, well, I think it's. I mean, certainly understanding the the sort of total addressable market. I think one thing, probably the biggest mistake that I see marketers make in general, you know, when they're actually trying to advertise to to their audience, is that they're going like far too broad they're just thinking okay you know it's, it's for sort of women aged 18 to 35 but they're not really looking at it like okay who's actually gonna buy this product so you know really like really looking at what are the you know what are the things that are going to move the needle and what is gonna uh you know make the audience like buy this essentially so i'd say that's the first thing and then you know really just having like a good understanding of the whole business as a, as like as a whole essentially so not just looking at um you know what like is it a product that that people like is it does it work you know economically like what are the margins i think again you know sometimes you can have really good products um but if the margins just are not working it's just not scalable essentially so that would mm. be another one is dropshipping still viable today? Like I, I always hear people say dropshipping is dead. Is, is that yeah. true? Yes and no. It's, it's certainly getting harder and I wouldn't advise people to do it. Um, it can work. You know, there's still products that are like popping up. Um, but, you know, it's getting more difficult. Essentially, you know, um, acquisition cost is going up. It's 
harder and harder pe people in general are becoming more distrusting of those kind of brands which is sort of the main reason why you know it might work you might hit a product that could that could make some money but as a business you know no because you're not really building anything that's sort of sustainable and that can actually grow you know it can be a nice little um you know quick money maker but if i was to say is it like working and is it is it the you know the next business model i'd say i think we've kind of passed the the glory days of that it's funny though cuz when i when you think about drop shipping as as a business model it's weird to think that a business model type can be saturated because when you think about like saturation in a market you usually think about like a product that is like okay there's too many people in the web design space so don't get into web design because that's saturated that's a bad example i'm in web design but it's weird to think that like an entire method of acquiring and selling products can be saturated and you're saying that that's that's tied to to the acquisition costs of paid media rising is that is that right yeah that's that's definitely a factor i mean i think this idea that it's dead dead is um maybe a bit of an exaggeration but yeah mm. certainly the fact that it's just becoming more and more expensive to acquire a customer doing it through the normal channels so for example like aliexpress and essentially you know i guess the reason why that it, why it wouldn't be sustainable is because at least with a brand what you're doing is you're actually building you have a much higher um acquisition cost potentially but you also have the higher lifetime value because you know they're actually repeat purchasing and the thing about drop shipping it's kind of like a churn and burn model which i think is where you know people can actually fall a bit short what do you mean when you say it's a churn and burn model well it's not you know the the customer experience honestly isn't um isn't in incredible which i think is what you know customers are looking for more and more is they want they want to have a good experience they've got you've got amazon to compete with um which is you know giving them the product the next day essentially so right. having having a really good customer experience you know throughout every touch point whether that's speaking to customer service how they receive their package you know it's sort of integral to how people perceive the brand and when you're doing drop shipping you know typically anyway it doesn't have those fast delivery times it hasn't got necessarily the best uh product quality so i think that's kind of where you know you just don't see the same um sort of uh return customer rate as you would with like with a brand that you're actually you know building so customer acquisition costs are going up lifetime value of each customer is going down as you so eloquently said earlier those are bad numbers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, what about what about this trend of uh, print on demand? I'm seeing a lot of that. Is that is that another fad, or is that something that you think is here to stay? Um, again, I mean, it's it would essentially just be one um, one type, like one aspect of drop drop shipping. I haven't actually run any print on demand uh, brands myself, but I would say that you know. Of course, it can work like anything else. And yeah, it's just, it's almost more like a method of production, essentially. So, you know, you could have, you could have a, um, a fulfillment center in the UK doing print on demand to a UK audience with a, with a solid brand, um, and it would be flourishing. So I would say print on demand in of itself is, is, uh, good to go, I would say. Okay. Okay, cool. Um, 
there's a lot of changes happening right now with um, yes. with the marketing space. Um, that's a really broad sentence, but specifically paid media, because most of when we talk about paid media, we're usually talking about Google and Facebook. Um, yep. Do you want to talk a little bit about what's going on with like iOS 14 and how that's impacting? I, like, I know that it's happening, but I, because I, I operate in an industry that's like tangentially related, but I, yep. I don't really run ads for e-commerce businesses. So tell me like, what is, um, what's going on? Yeah, well, I mean, this has kind of been the this impending doom, right, for most marketers in the last, um, I would say, about six months. It's kind of been on the on the horizon, and essentially, what's happened is that Apple have placed a restriction on uh, iPhone users to what um, privacy settings they ask of their customers. So it's now essentially uh, you have to opt in to see the ads, and it makes it. It's much less likely that people are, you know, going to opt in for that. So what that means in terms of Facebook advertising is it's much harder to actually run a campaign and get the same level of um, data as you would previously. So, you know, when it comes to uh, attribution, for example, it used to be 30 days and now it's uh, seven days and it's quite limited in what that seven days actually offers. Oh, I see. So it's it's like, okay, so if someone sees a Facebook ad, right? Yeah. And then they click on it and then they go yeah. to your website and they make the purchase in that moment, you can still capture that data. And if they make it within seven days, like when they come back to the app, they can still attribute that to the Facebook ad. But what you're saying is it's that uh, eight to 30 day window that we're losing. Yeah, pretty much. Well, in, if you actually get the sale, then you'll still be able to track it because you'd have the customer info um, you know, from the purchase, essentially, uh, which you could see through Shopify. But your point is still 100% um, valid. So yeah, you wouldn't be able to see, you know, what's going on past that point. So it kind of leaves a lot of advertisers in the dark in terms of, you know, how to scale them, their campaigns if they haven't got a longer sort of vision of what's going on. That makes sense. That makes sense. And because of the way that Facebook works and Google as well, Facebook getting less data isn't just a measurement problem. It's an optimization problem because those those platforms also improve themselves based on the customer data that they're collecting based on your yeah. transactions. Yeah, I hadn't, that um, that's, that's a good way to put it. Yeah. Okay. What One thing you told me once that I want to ask about, um, you mentioned that uh, the one, one of the metrics in Facebook when you're looking at like running campaigns for an e-commerce business is return on ad spend. Uh, ROAS. Yes. Yeah. So that for those people, for people who aren't familiar, that's how Facebook measures for every dollar you spend on Facebook ads, you get say $3 back on your Shopify store. So your ROAS would be three. Um, Anthony, you told me that you think that that metric is overrated. Um, I can, I think I can kind of see where you're going with that. Why, why do you say that? Yeah, well, I think people can come a little bit obsessed with ROAS, you know, though, um, it's become a bit of a, a joke almost in in the sort of Facebook ads world is people you know post their results and they might have a hundred x return on ad spend, which is uh, ridiculous when you look at it. It's like oh wow, for every dollar I spend, I'm getting a thousand out. But what you actually look at it is maybe they've got you know three purchases or something. And I've also seen people posting they've had like a ten x return on ad spend um, with again like a few sales. And they're just and and they're just so obsessed with this with this number of okay I've got ten return 
you know, how can I, um, how can I keep, keep that number? But obviously, you know, if you look at it in terms of the, the whole business, it's like, what is, what is the, what is, what are the big numbers that we actually need? It's like, what is the revenue? And ultimately what is, what is the profit going to be? So, you know, when people are looking at these, they're not, they're not optimized for scale and, you know, there can be different goals or, or sort of priorities that people have as a business. But generally, you know, if you're looking to actually scale and grow and you can kind of understand that if the more customers that you acquire, you could also upsell them on the back end, then mm -hmm. it really, then you really start to look at that a little bit differently. And, you know, you could almost say if you've got a ROAS that's too high, it means you're not scaling aggressively enough because there's a lot more customers that you could be acquiring. Mm. So if you're saying, you're saying that if it's, it's like a short sighted metric because it doesn't take into account the lifetime value of the customer, it takes yeah. into account the first purchase that they make do in that seven day attribution window. Yeah. And I think you almost have to look at it. Like if you imagine some of the bigger companies, right? Like Nike aren't. Um, on the, in terms of their, their important metrics, they're not looking, they're not reporting at the end of the year. Oh, this was our return on ad spend. They're saying, this is, this is our, you know, this is our revenue. This is our profit and loss. This, this is what we're giving to our shareholders. Like those are the numbers I think that are important. And, you know, it doesn't really matter at any level, whether it's a big multinational company or it's a local mom and pop pop store. I think that should still be the objective, at least, you know, from a financial perspective, rather than what's the what's the return on ad spend. It's funny. You're absolutely right. It's it's totally a way that Facebook justifies to you, you spending money on their platform. Yeah, That's what it's got to be. Yeah, and, well, there's a lot of that. There is a lot of that. Yeah. And another thing you said that I think is interesting is that if your ROAS is too high, you're probably not being aggressive enough. You're not scaling enough because as you scale a campaign, tell me if I'm wrong, because I'm speaking out of, out of school here a little bit, but as you scale a Facebook ad campaign, your return on ad spend is going to decrease. So if it's too high, you're focused too, you're focused too narrowly on short term or your business model doesn't have a, a long tail, like long, lifetime value. So it should be decreasing as you scale. Is, am I understanding? Yeah, that point yeah. Correctly? Typically, it would it would decrease, and I think that's where you've really just got to understand your sort of bottom level, like your your bottom line numbers. So it may be that let's say the return on ad spend, like absolute minimum you'd have to get, would be uh, one point four, right? So for every one dollar you spend, you're getting one one forty back. That's kind of the basic idea. But essentially what that would mean is that really you don't want to be going much over two because if you're scaling it hard and you're really getting the most um, out of your campaign and, and getting that like aggressive customer acquisition, assuming that's what you're trying to do, right? Then I think you've got to look at it um, a little bit kind of conversely, I guess, to what's the, the, the common uh, approach to it. Sure, yeah. And I think that's an important uh, an important point here. Like when you're talking about return on ad spend, you're actually only talking about the cost of acquiring a customer. You're not talking about the lifetime value. So yes, true. In that vein, like what other channels are viable right now for for like acquiring new customers with paid media? Is Google yeah. the only one? I know you do some stuff with TikTok. Like what 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 uh what platforms do you use? Yeah, well, I mean, I think the just that kind of uncertainty that's been creeping in about 
Facebook at the moment with all the stuff that's going on has led a lot of advertisers, myself included, to start looking at some different channels. So for us, we've kind of ventured more into TikTok. We're, we're giving that a go, trying to figure out how that works exactly. I think the next step would probably be Snapchat. That's like a nice extension and probably a bit further down the line, actually going into the native stuff as well. I think there's huge potential with native, but it's just about like doing it at a step at a time. But I think there's a couple advantages of that. The first is that you're diversifying your risk, right? You're not all on Facebook. If your ad account gets shut down, that's not the end of your business. And, you know, the, the second reason is that you're, <clears throat> is that you're not, um, you're not just trying to, you're not just on Facebook. You're also on these other channels. And mm. what can happen is that people start seeing you around as this sort of ubiquitous brand. And, you know, they might not buy from you from one channel, but they, they'll kind of Google you. They'll see that you've got presence there. And once you've got that sort of, um, you know, like presence in the market, that's when you get a little bit more memorable. So uh, you said a term there that, I don't, that I'm not familiar with. When you say native ads, what are you talking yep. about? So native would be anything, you know, if you're on, um, if you're just on like a WordPress site, like, or, or like a... Um, you know, CNN news or, or whatever, like New York Post, uh, you're going to get banner ads. There's a few different types of ads that you'd be seeing, um, you know, on the website itself. And that's just sort of, and that's coming through native essentially. Gotcha. So like on Google, it's called display. Right. Yeah, exactly. Okay. I understand. Cool. Yeah. So TikTok and Snapchat, those are interesting ones. Um, let's start with Snapchat. What, what kind of stuff are you seeing on Snapchat that that's working? Well, to be honest, we haven't we haven't gone into Snapchat yet. That's kind of the okay. next step. It's been more um, more TikTok. But what I can speak to that is it's certainly um, just there's a lot to kind of get your head around. Like even even some of the language that's used on the platform. I don't know. Are you a are you a heavy TikToker? <laughs> we, I think I'll understand. Yeah. I'll I'll understand what you're talking about. <laughs> right. Okay. I think we're kind of on the cusp of the the sort of generational cusp of TikTok, where it kind of makes sense, but not really. Yeah, that's, that's how I feel about it. Anyway, I think you're older than me. So, okay. <laughs> so, so for me, anyway, I was kind of looking at all these terms um, that people are using on TikTok, like, uh, that, that was that was the first time I really felt old. And um, it's just just to see, you know, what are the actual? Um, what is the way that they kind of communicate? And how is that different to, um, you know, slightly older audiences? <laughs> Um, that was the first thing. And, you know, we were seeing some, from running some of these ads is there can be quite a lot of trolls on the, on the comments, you know, mm -hmm. they don't hold back. So you've really got to be on it and engage with the community in a way. Like if someone's saying something funny on the, on the, on the ad, right. Or, or anything that you're running, you want to be right back there having a conversation with them saying something kind of witty as well. Otherwise, you know, you can't you can't let them have the last laugh, I guess, in this uh, <laughs> in this example. You've kind of got to hire like some edgy social media manager for <laughs> yeah, just someone that's a little account. bit little bit of sass, you know. It's like every account is Wendy's Twitter account. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. We need it. We need a bit of that. I think a bit of fire. That's fun. So, are you running paid ads on TikTok, or is it mainly like organic content that you're just? Yeah, so we're actually um, we're actually 
running a little bit of both. So we're doing some influencer marketing and then we're using that influencer marketing in the paid ads. Because what we've found is, I mean, influencer can work great, but with the sort of firepower, if you will, of the Facebook ads or of the TikTok ads in this case, you know, really having a sort of recognizable face or brand that you can use as that social proof just makes the ads work even better. Um, you know, so just have, and if you would just have ads on its own, it just doesn't have, you know, the same effect. So mm. yeah, we've been having a lot of, um, it's been working well for us. Does it work for all companies or all brands, or is it really only specific brands that are targeted towards younger audiences? Um, I mean, I think it can be pretty broad. Like, uh, you know, we were running a campaign a while ago for, it was like a, like a car manufacturer essentially. And, you know, they're even, this was, this was back when we were doing more like YouTube ads and believe it or not, there are some pretty big like car influencers, you know, that you can use to, who are talking about like DIY and it still seems to work. So, so you'd be surprised, man. Wow. Yeah. How is TikTok's ad platform? Last I heard about it was like five, six months ago and I was here and it was really still figuring out what it wanted to be when it grew up. Uh, how how is it now? Well, in terms of the back end, it's almost identical to Facebook. It's, I, I, they've obviously wow. made it, you know, like they've they've kind of changed some of the names maybe for copyright reasons. But in terms of the sort of back end, they really just made it as easy as possible to migrate as many Facebook advertisers onto TikTok without any hiccups. So, um, so I think there'll be a lawsuit pending. <laughs> there's going to be a few i think so yeah. what's the uh what's the targeting like um yeah well that's actually one of the things that they recommend um when you're running the ads usually if you're doing it on facebook you optimize more for uh, you know you you have like one conversion uh, option so you always do it for conversions whereas with tiktok they they sort of recommend you know you do some top of funnel traffic campaigns you do add to carts, you do um, you do conversions as well. So I don't think, honestly, I don't think that the algorithms are sophisticated as Facebook yet. We've been running some broad stuff um, just to kind of like, just to populate and figure out where we want to um, run the ad specifically. But I think in general, you know, it's just not as, um, it's just not as built out yet. But I'm hoping that will kind of, they'll figure it out sooner rather mm. than later. So I know one thing you said is that like detailed targeting on Facebook is overrated. Um, like maybe I'm putting words in your mouth there, but I think you said something like that to me about how like you don't want to give, you don't want to be too narrow with your targeting on Facebook. Um, is that, A, did you say that or am I making that up? And B, is it, uh, is it similar on TikTok? Do you have the ability to target pretty narrowly like by interests and demographics and all that good stuff? Yeah, well, I mean, I would say um, you know, you can go, you can have some specificity with it, but I think in general, if, if I was to look at most, how most campaigns are run, there is, um, this almost like, um, obsession with finding your perfect audience, you know, like, okay, mm. I'm going to be running this from, you know, these are 21 to 26 year olds who like to read this or this, this magazine, or they shop there. And, you know, what happens is you, you're going to have such a small audience that it just makes it so expensive to run that ad. Um, the way that you really call out someone that works, that, you know, that actually is a good, um, 
that that is a good person for your ad is if you have good copy, good creative, you can really like figure out how you want to target them rather than just going super specific. You can go much broader. Facebook, essentially, Facebook algorithm is, you know, smarter than um, than we are when it comes to trying to figure out who the buyers are. Yeah, fair enough. Better not better let the robots and supercomputers figure out who we need yeah. to be who we need to be targeting. Yeah. Um that's definitely interesting. So what are your thoughts on funnel optimization? I know you have some thoughts on on, on that subject specifically. Yeah, well I think there's a little bit of um, this this idea of building and actually, funnels. I'm sorry. Would you define that first for people who aren't familiar? Yeah, sure. So a funnel, essentially, um, you know, a marketing funnel would just be bringing, you know, it's the full customer journey that you're bringing uh, a user through. So from their first touch point, which might be um, their Facebook ad, or they might see you on on TV or Google, whichever um, kind of channel that, that they see you on. And then, you know, they'll kind of come to your website and then be a buyer. That's the, that's this traditional idea of a funnel. And I think what, what you can, what happens when you look at it as a funnel is that you kind of miss this idea that, that actually the, these different touch points are interrelated. So someone might see you on an ad and then they'll go into a store or they'll see you on a store and then you'll start getting targeted for their ads. So it's less about kind of trying to take them from A to B, but it's more almost if you kind of look at it like as a web where the, each factor kind of feeds into the other ones. Ultimately, they might purchase it and then they're still talking about it to their friends. It's not just the end of the, the sort of buyer cycle. That's a that's a different answer than uh, it's a more sophisticated answer, I would say, than most people give. But you're, I think you're correct. <laughs> like that makes sense. Um, all right, so so now tell me a little bit about your funnel optimization. Um, well, yeah, I mean that's kind of well, at least that's my that's sort of how I think about it. Like, you've got the regular funnels. Um, that's how most people are looking at the funnels. But what the way we're doing it is we're looking at it more kind of you know the whole we're looking at that whole picture, and then that you know you really have to kind of be deep in Google Analytics trying to figure out not just what traffic's going from here, but it's actually how does it all kind of piece together. So it's a lot of finagling in, in Google Analytics, Google Data Studio to really understand like, you know, how how does one lever affect, you know, the whole system? Because if you were to say like a lot of a lot of times people obsess, let's say, with, you know, lowering the CPA, which is the um, cost per acquisition, right? And then to do that, you know, they'll want to um, lower the, increase the, the click-through rate. So have more people clicking on the ad, but that's not an isolated event. There's also going to be a, a, an, an import, like a, an effect on the conversion rate on the website. So it all kind of, because the traffic that you're getting isn't as good. So it all fits together. Mm. It's not like, you know, you just boost the, the click-through rate and the rest of the funnel isn't also affected. So if you do some kind of cheap trick to get a fast, to get a, a, a to improve one metric like click through, 
it could have a negative impact on another metric like conversion rate. But that number two is just a facade because it's the system as a whole that matters. It's not any specific number and you shouldn't be focused. So how do you even go about measuring it? Is it just that, that cost per acquisition? Um, well, ultimately, that's kind of the that's probably one of the most important metrics. Like if we're looking at, um, you know, the margins on the product, like what the what the cost of the goods are, you know, we want to have that we want to have like a nice cushy margin so that the acquisition cost gives us enough room to, you know, pay for everything else and then keep on growing. So we try and at least have that, as I would say, probably the, you know, as a as a key metric in as probably more so it's similar to rose but i think i think there's some some distinctions sure sure what other levers would you would you pull to try and optimize those numbers you mentioned click through is it it list all those marketing stats like cost per impression click through are those the numbers you're talking about or are there other things you're thinking about yeah well i would say um you know on the front end there's a lot you can do with the with the ads itself right so testing you know, we're always going to be testing just like a bunch of different creative, a bunch of different copy, because you never quite know again, similar with the drop shipping, it's like, what's the one that's actually gonna convert. And it may surprise you, it may be this, this kind of ad that you wrote, like on the fly, didn't didn't kind of think about it too much. But in general, you know, there is there is some kind of system to it, you want to find ads that are um, that catch people's attention that bring people through a bit of a story themselves. Um, you could, you could more or less guess what's going to do well and what's just going to completely bomb. So then the rest is sort of in the middle, just like trying to tweak it. One piece of advice I was given is that when you're running, and this is like a, a trend I've noticed, like a, I'm not the first person to say this, but on all of these platforms, Facebook and Google specifically, they want you now to give them like 15 headlines, 15 descriptions, 15 images. And instead of running split tests, they want you to just l let them run with it and yeah. just mix and match. Do you do that? Or do you still like split test manually to determine, get your own data and like tell the algorithm? to? Yeah, it usually later? we'll do it um, automatically. So what you're talking about there is creative testing. So it's just, it's giving Facebook a bunch of different creatives that you can kind of you just give it to Facebook and you know you just see which one it likes the most. And the advantage of that is it's gonna spend the money on the one that it that it thinks is the most, um, you know, like has the best chance of doing well. But I think what can often happen is that it gets allocated quite quickly. So it might test these copies and one that shows some early sign of success, it will just allocate all the budget to that one. Whereas actually, you know, when you're first starting out, it can be good if you say, all right, I want to spend at least 50 bucks on this creative in this ad, and I want to spend 50 bucks on this one, so I can really get a proper split test. I think that's kind of when we would do it at the start, just to see, you know, what's actually has some, like have a fair test, basically. Fair enough. Yeah. And it's, I, I think similarly, like I would want to have at least what I would consider a fair test. But yeah. then I guess it comes down to like, like you said earlier, these algorithms know so much, like, how do we know what a fair test is? But yeah, I feel like you're right. There couldn't, there couldn't be any harm in at least putting 50 bucks in a couple of different variants. That, that yeah. Are you doing any Facebook ads? How are you getting your, uh, your clients in? So yeah, it's different than it is for e-commerce, but I still have like a funnel, right? So we've got like these, um, 
the one that I'm running right now is like, there's a video of me talking like, hey, come to this like little webinar thing. That's an automated recording of me giving people some tips and then they can sign up for a session at the end of it with me. And then on that session, I upsell them on a project. Okay, nice. And yeah, the service just, is it's all around web development. So is it specifically on WordPress? Is that right? Yeah, we're, we're, we're more like business to business companies. We do some e-commerce stuff, but because yeah. we're a WordPress shop, like, you know, Shopify is kind of where it's at for that. So yeah. we'll, we'll work with companies that won't get accepted onto Shopify, like cannabis companies and, you know, other, other kinds of industries. That, okay. Uh, but for still, the most part, our still within e-commerce or just whatever, um, any, any company that needs a website that's B2B? Um, very rarely do we do e-commerce. We, we do probably one e-commerce a month, maybe, maybe one yeah. every two months. Uh, most of it's like financial services, lawyers, doctors, not nice. uh, doctors sometimes, but yeah. 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 It's uh, I, I like e-commerce I've, in the, in like past iterations of this company, I've focused on it a lot more. Um, but I, I found that it's easier to the kind of like upkeep that a, that a Shopify site needs, like is kind of complicated. So I found that it would be easier to uh, set up systems around WordPress. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. And probably also, there's a, there's, it's a clearer distinction in what you're doing, right? Because it can sometimes get a little bit messy. Let's, I could imagine if you're a Shopify web development agency, it's like, you know, who's, who's, who's taking the pictures, who's writing, like, there can be, there can be some intricacies where someone doesn't write like these product tags or something. And then totally. suddenly that's on the, the web agency. Whereas I feel like with WordPress, it's just like, okay, this, this is what we want. This, this mm -hmm. is the content. Here you go. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. You, you've got some more experience. Different, different clients have different needs, but you're, you're absolutely right. There's like so much that goes into having a successful e-commerce website. It's not just building the storefront, right? It's like, you have to have like your email marketing set up and your retargeting needs to be configured correctly. And how are you going to set it up with the fulfillment center? And what happens uh, yeah, if someone yeah. abandons a cart? You know, like all those things need to be thought through. And yeah. I think I will go back into it at some point, but I want to make sure that I'm not winging those things. I want to be like methodical about like, okay, so we have a good strategy for that part and a good strategy for that part. So I figured when I was starting this, I thought, okay, let's, let's focus on what I know how to do already really well every time. Yeah. That's, that's, that's why I picked the, the route that I yeah, did. Yeah. I mean, and there's, there's a complete abundance of people who need WordPress sites. Oh yeah. Yeah. So. It's a great industry. I really like it. Yeah. Um, I've got some questions for you about new new shopify companies or new i'm sorry new e-commerce companies because i know one of the companies you work with it's ghost um shoot i can't remember which one it is but one of them creates e-commerce brands from scratch is that correct yeah it's, so ghost studios it's kind of um it's in its infancy at the moment we've got okay. a women's health supplement uh that we're working on and as well as a pregnancy brand that's kind of just coming into life now um so it's super early stages um i keeping it a little bit under the wraps at the moment. But what I can say is, you know, we're working with a lot of these um, clients, you know, for the agency and kind of honestly, just, just doing really well for them, right? Just, just having campaigns that were making them a lot of money and kind of got us thinking, all right, well, you know, maybe we can, maybe this isn't so hard. Maybe we can, we can try some of our brands for ourselves. So, you know, while we have the agency, we're like, okay, well, we've got, you know, this in-house team of ad buyers and like influencer marketers who can scale campaigns really well. 
we just need to figure out the brand side and you know we're good to go and i think what that's kind of given us is a lot more it's it's almost like a fun project at this point it's like just throwing some stuff totally. against the wall but i mean it, but, i think but it typically has a lot of when potential. you're working with these brand yeah i'm sure it does you guys definitely have like customer acquisition is the part that everyone's worried about when they start a company and you guys know how to yep. do that um so when some typically when you're working with with brands like they're larger companies that have already got an established business correct that's am i correct in saying that yeah either an established business or i mean for one one for example it's like a plc so it's very established but it's a new kind of uh, brand so we actually scaled them up you know from zero but typically it will be at some level already okay so how how do you recommend someone get started because it's a really daunting thing because you have to like let's let's break it down into bite-sized chunks i guess so you're starting these these two or three you know businesses right now and we don't need to talk about those specific ones because i know you said it's under wraps but when you're going through that process how do you determine what to sell like who did like what's the brand going to be yeah i mean i think ultimately you've really just got to you've got to be thinking about the numbers and you know is this something is this something that can scale is this something that you can build a bit of a community around is can we reach the audience through the channels that we're trying to reach them on right um we had a campaign we we're running before for um cgs go players i don't know if you're familiar with that with counter-strike um and we we're selling them um knives essentially that was the that was that was the the brand but what we found is like they're you know they're we couldn't we couldn't run ads on uh, on facebook because they've got these knives which which are banned so we're like okay we've got to like we've got to figure out where where they are in the end you know we're running some ads on like reddit which work which worked in a way but it's just it's just not scalable and it's like you have to have you know a good product which they did have and but you've also got to be able to reach them so that's kind of where we're starting to look more seeing as facebook is what we kind of specialize in running ads to like audiences that really have a strong um you know audience in that age age group so for example we're looking more um at women slightly older women in general so there's a lot of them on facebook right so it kind of mm -hmm. makes it easier totally uh, that makes that makes perfect sense so the audience is what determines kind of the niche that you go into and when a, when an e-commerce brand is is starting up right there's a couple of pieces that need to be figured out there's the actual website that they need to do obviously that's the first one i think of right but then yes. there's also like fulfillment and branding and marketing is probably the one that they're afraid of so how do you go about acquiring your first customers do you do that before you start the company to like validate it like what 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 goes on yeah there's a few ways you can do it so if you have um one one good way to test honestly is if you if you source a good product from um from china so let's say Ali, aliexpress alibaba you could actually you know create some branding around that product um order a small batch of it maybe like i would say a hundred max to kind of start out um sorry but i think a thousand was a thousand's tough <laughs> from the get-go 
It you can be done. My, I was. You should have seen my college house. I had like this stack of them. <laughs> you know, I've got, I've, got a, I've got a lot of time for it. I have to say, it's a good. Um, it's it's it shows it shows good character. I but, sold them, man. <laughs> but uh, but I think but yeah, I, th- I think that I think that is um is a common mistake that people make mm-hmm. is that you know they'll go out and they'll invest a lot, they'll get attached to the product. And, you know, I have to even be a little bit careful with one of the brands we've got now. It's it's like the diff- we're sort of the longer we've spent on it, the more we've become infatuated with this brand and thinking that it's going to, um, you know, work really well. And it's like, wait, hold on a minute. Let's let's not put any more money in this. Let's actually run some ads and, and see that it works. And I think sometimes you can kind of become too... Um, sort of engrossed in that product development side that it's like have you had that validation from the market so yeah my advice would be to try and keep costs low before like until you figure out okay this is something that people you know really want Mm. one thing that i read in like probably an old tim ferris book was that he would he would run ads before he had the product to see if people yeah. would buy them and see if the ad would work. And then he would just refund them and say, sorry, there was an issue. <laughs> we can't yeah. do it. Yeah. Would you ever I, try I, that? Or do you think there's a problem with that? Uh, morally, you mean? No, I mean, however you want to slice it. Morally? <laughs> I think, I mean, I think that there's, um, I haven't got, I haven't got a problem with it. I, I like the en- ingenuity behind it, to be honest. Um, okay. we've done, we've done it before and it's, it's a good way to kind of see, you know, if there's bite, I think, as long as you're like, if as long as you're refunding the product, right? I think I think there's no harm foul. If you just like, oh well, I'll just take the money, don't send it. That's probably where it's that's where it's definitely going into um, yeah. some ethically questionable behavior. I but we always I we always send out the legally product. frowned upon. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so that's that's a that's interesting. So before buying the 100 sample products you could test the ads to see if you can effectively reach the audience validate what you've determined with the numbers and then build it up so how much emphasis are you putting on the brand when you're first starting it do you like one thing that i always tell people who want to get into my industry it's vastly different than yours right but like i tell people like don't worry about your brand at all when you're starting out freelancer or web designer or whatever because it doesn't matter but i have a sense that it's probably different in your world yeah, well, I think the first. So, I mean, I can, I can. It's not a, it's not a complete secret. But the first, the first product that uh, that we're launching, it's called Mind Love, and it's a, it's a women's health supplement for um, th- to help with anxiety, sleep. And there's a few different uh, products that we're that we're launching, and you know that the idea behind that was just trying to send, just see if we could validate it. We've slipped a little bit too much into product development mode and trying to make it look good and I think that the standards a little bit higher for that industry because you know if you look Mm -hmm. at the other products in that market there's quite a high expectation of what a good luxury brand um, kind of looks like but I think that's the main thing you know if you're selling tires or something that solves a problem there's really not going to be the same um, you know benchmark that you kind of need to hit and in general, probably the best thing would be to get started before, you know, just, just see, see what the reaction is before kind of going too deep into spending money on it. That makes sense. Okay. So another thing that you do 
not to completely pivot, but I want to see how this ties together. Another thing that you do is acquire e-commerce brands that are already running. Um, so I want to talk about that in detail, but how important is the aesthetic of the brand and like the look and feel of it when you're making a purchase? Is that even a factor that you consider? If I think it's becoming more and more important for sure. And in the right market, so life, lifestyle brands, anything that's sort of uh, that's to do with like, you know, food and nutrition or where there is that quality of care that's that people expect, then yeah, it's, it's super important. You probably, that you can probably get away with it in in a few other industries, but in general, it's it's kind of it's right up there. Okay, so while we're on the topic, what when you're like looking to purchase a brand, what are you looking at? That's a huge question. Yeah, well, actually, um, the first acquisition that we were that we were looking at, um, I well, I can't maybe spill all the beans on that one, but what I can say is that it's a it's a web development agency um different <laughs> no uh in shopify right i'm sure yeah <laughs> um so what we were thinking essentially is that we can actually have a powerhouse like just a really strong partner that whenever we you know launch any other brands we have them to um to just mm. build the website work with us and do it um, I think we've moved more into this idea, okay, well, we could still have them as a, as a partner without actually owning the company. And I think that just makes us a little bit more focused and streamlined on finding the brands that look good and just focusing on the brands that like as the main acquisition focus. Mm. So are you looking more at the numbers of like their margins and all the stuff we've been talking about this whole conversation when you're buying these brands? Yeah, so we'll look at, I mean, there's a few, there's a few factors, um, you know, it's not, there's a, well, first of all, there's a few ways to actually acquire the companies. So it depends whether we, we kind of do it through VC funding, which is what we've been looking for at the moment, or we're doing it financed through debt. So like from the banks, that's the first thing. So if it's from the banks, there's going to be a little bit more of a time pressure um, as to when we, when we pay that back. So what that means is that we're actually having more, um, we just have to have higher margins, basically. It's got to look good mm -hmm. kind of on paper. With the VCs, the advantage of that is it will, you know, maybe there'll be more, the disadvantage is they might be more involved with what we're doing. But what it also means is that if we see a brand that it might have a ridiculously high multiple, um, but if it still looks good on paper, like, and we can see the potential of it, they'll sort of let it slide that, it will take, you know, five plus years to get the the kind of recuperations on it. Gotcha. So if a VC fund were to were to work with you on this, wouldn't they also get equity? Yeah, they would. Or is that not is that not categorically oh, okay. Okay. They'd, Interesting. They'd get, it depends how we how we'd structure the deal, but typically there'd be equity as well as um like a an additional payout when when we would sell the brands, which is kind of the longer term vision okay cool but that will take some that's uh, a that's a long time all right so um i want to go back to to new e-commerce companies i actually didn't mean to to leave that subject yet but you know here we are um when a company's first starting out you know they 
once they have finished the product development, right? And they've got, you know, they know they're happy with it. They've maybe run some test ads and they've had success um, in a morally ethical way, of course. Uh, yep, naturally. How, how, how should they go about building their customer base? Is paid ads the first thing that they should do? How much should new brands be prepared to spend on that? Kind of like what, what's, what do the first steps look like to, to growing the company, an e-com company? Yeah, that's a good question. So, I mean, the first step, like the, you know, absolute fundamental, fundamental before you even kind of getting to the brand building side is really understanding that customer that you're, that you're trying to reach. So, you know, what, what is the reason they're actually buying the product from you in the first place? Is, is it because, uh, is it because it looks good? Is it because, uh, they're going to lose weight? What, what is the, what is the sort of driving factor that's actually, you know, making them purchase? And in general, there should be a, some level of understanding around what it is that you're trying to do, like why people would even buy the product in the first place. Um, in terms of the strategy for the for the campaign or like to build the brand, you know, I like to recommend actually having starting to build up the socials a little bit and see what the traction is there first, because, you know, you can get a fairly good gauge of how well people are going to respond to a product organically, right? Just posting stuff on, on Instagram, um, trying to build up some following there. And you can already build that community and actually build the brand. And, you know, maybe maybe three to six months down the line, you have like a few thousand people following your stuff. They know kind of, they know what you're selling. They can actually give you feedback so that when you launch the ads, it's like, it's almost just like multiplying the effect that you've had with the organic. But I think if you don't kind of get that organic piece in first, then the paid ads just doesn't quite click. That makes sense. Organic is really tough though right now. Um, I mean, maybe not on TikTok, but it's it's like a really tough game to be in right now. Uh, and I know a lot of e-commerce owners that are really struggling to in that effort. I don't know if this is your area of expertise or not, but is that, do you have any tips for that? Well, I think the main thing, so yeah, it's definitely the case. Um, so you're speaking to just Instagram in general, like the reach is it's just going down. It's it's harder to reach the same proportion of your audience as it was before. I think in part just because there's a attention fatigue that people have. There's a million and one things they could be doing. They're only over time going to be following more and more accounts. And I think it just gets to a point when you know p- creators' accounts just kind of get pushed down the the story list. Um, Reels Reels has been doing really well. That's been a major Instagram update. I know people have been having a lot of success with the reels. Um, But the main thing is just, you know, posting really good content, like really like well thought out, shareable content. At the end of the day, if you can have great content, people will respond to it. And if you're putting that out at least relatively consistently, it's going to kind of, it's going to snowball. It just may take a little bit longer than maybe it would have done a few years ago. I'm going to ask you, I'm going to ask you every marketer's least favorite question. How, how often should people be so posting on social media or not people, these brands, like you said, relatively consistency, like what's the, uh, yeah, how, I know well, there's no number, right. But like, what's the framework? How do you think about it? I mean, I guess there would be some variation just in, in what you're trying to do as a brand, right? Like 
I'd imagine, let's say, like a luxury brand, they want to make sure that every time they post something, it's an iconic photo. So Prada, they're going to be, I mean, they've probably got a ton of content. I don't know what their what their strategy is exactly, but they want to make sure that each post is is special. So for them, it might be a few times a week even. But in general, you know, once a day, I think is a good target. Twice can be fine when you're starting out and you're just trying to grow. Um, it really just depends like, you know, also I think just understanding what your capacity is. Let's say if you're a creator to create content, right? Like if you, you know, people are saying put out four posts a day, if that means that the quality has to be reduced, then it's not good. So I guess my answer would be, you know, as many as you can without the qual quality being severely reduced. Severely reduced. Reduced is fine. It's <laughs> not severely. A little bit of reduction. Well, yeah, a little bit of reduction is okay, I'm I guess. Yeah. But in, gen in general, in general, actually, yeah, the main thing is having that good content rather than just pumping it out as much as humanly possible. Sweet. Okay. So now that they've got their first few customers, they've got, you know, a decent sized following on social media and they're starting to run paid ads. Um, is the next challenge then scaling those ads or are there other challenges in between there that I'm missing? Yeah. So, I mean, I guess that's a good time to get a sense of what the customer journey is like, right? Like you might be testing subscription model or you're just offering the product, you know, for one time. So then you can kind of start to, to get some feedback, like what is the what is the return rate of the product? How many times are these customers ordering it again? You're kind of getting, you know, maybe after 30 days, you'll start getting to that point as well, or like even a little bit longer. So, you know, you start to get a sense of, of how, what the experience is like for the customer. And I think the better sense you can get of that, the more then you're at a better position to say, okay, now we can start kind of, pumping the money into the ads but for example repeat customer rate that sort of that is essential to knowing how hard you can scale with the ads so you do want to get some feedback first before just going all in on it that's interesting so before you scale the ads you want to make sure that you can increase that lifetime value to the point where you know exactly how much you can scale the ads that makes a lot yeah of sense. And, al and also just just having a good sense of like just just the whole uh, journey for the for the customer so there's nothing that's like that there's no there's no surprises essentially if you suddenly uh you know selling a few hundred a day and you find out that there's like a design flaw with a product or there's just some kind of some complication that you hadn't quite accounted for that's better to do that you know on a smaller scale i'm talking like around 50 than you know, in the hundreds and or the thousands, that's where it can get a little bit, a little bit messy. I'm curious, what do you think about like Facebook and Instagram shop? The, I think they released it maybe a year ago. Um, and I thought it was going to like absolutely take off and, and maybe it did. And I just don't know about it, but, uh, do you, A, do you know what I'm talking about? And B, what's going on with it? Is it, is it relevant? Yeah. I mean, it's so, Instagram shop, I believe it's it's available for um, people that have got 10K followers or more. Is it is it the same as the, I believe it's the same as the swipe up I in that. I think so. Um, yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll have that as an option when we run the ads. So it can convert well, but ultimately 
if the Shopify stores optimized as advertisers, we'd rather get them on the um, on the on the ad, on the website because mm. you know we know that that's gonna that we can actually retarget them much better. We can get them like you know seeing the whole experience, not just the, the Instagram ads. I mean, it work it works too. To be fair, okay. So when you talk about optimizing a Shopify store, this is a whole other thing, and yeah. I don't know if we have time to get fully on, into it. But like, are there any you know quick tips that you could give for optimizing a Shopify store to to convert better or anything like that? Yeah, first thing, optimize for mobile. Mm-hmm. If you're if you're if you're sending traffic to a website, it's over ninety percent of people are uh, viewing it on mobile. So you want to really most most websites you de- you design it um, as a as a website, right? But ultimately, the most important thing is how does it look on mobile. The second thing is just to keep it really simple, you know, like large text, clear images. Um, probably, if you think it's if you think it's a little bit complicated, the website it definitely is. Like the less options and things that can distract, you know, someone from buying the product. Um, the worst. So you just want to have like a simple, like just almost dummy proof. So it just, you got the product, you've got the call to action button. There's nothing else that can sort of divert their attention. And the last one I'd say as well is just having a good website speed. Super, super important. If people are, you know, still waiting for the ad, for the website to load for like five, six seconds, then as you know, then it's like, then people people get bored quickly. And that's actually becoming more important, not less. Um, actually, everything you just said is becoming more important. But um, especially if one of your channels that you're getting traffic from is SEO, search engine optimization, appearing yeah. uh, organically. We're recording this uh, podcast on June 9th. I think it's somewhere in the middle of this month we're expecting Google to release an update that prioritizes... Um, uh, site speed as one of the key factors that, that ranks a website. It was going to be in May, but they ended up pushing it back because everyone's panicking. But, yeah. uh, the, the site speed thing is, is huge, not just for conversion rate, but also for, uh, for SEO. Uh, was that something, is that something that they've, so obviously it is a factor they've just kind of bumped it up as, is like priority factor number one, essentially. Probably not one number one, ones. but I think they're they're making a whole thing out of it, right? They've been I think they've been teasing it for like six to eight months or something like that, and it's like because they're making a big deal about it, and they don't normally make a big deal about what they're going to update, right? You know? Normally, it's like a huge surprise, and we're all like, "Oh, why is everyone's traffic dropped?" <laughs> yeah, the fact that they're making this big of a commotion is like, okay, they're probably pretty serious about it, so we should get our affairs in order. Yeah, well, what what the other thing as well when you have. Um, you kind of have these algorithm updates and what you also might start seeing is some people saying, okay, we've got, you know, we've, we've hacked the algorithm guys. We've reversed engineered the algorithm. I don't know if you've heard that one before, but (laughs) if you do, then you should run for the hills because you know, the, no one's reverse engineering Google's algorithm. It's like, it's just, it's just, it's just kind of like preposterous. So you know, there's, there's, there's so many intricacies to it that we're kind of, we're, we can have guesses, but we're still more or less in the dark, you know, of what's really yep. the levers that are being pulled. 
I, anytime someone tells you that they're smarter than Google or Facebook, you really got to make sure that like, this person <laughs> is, is legit because it's probably not true. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's kind of, that's I, if that's one thing to summarize from the talk, it's just tr- the, trust the algorithms and <laughs> <laughs> unfortunately the computers. <laughs> Fair enough, man. Well, hey, dude, this has been so cool. Um, thank you so much. There's so many questions I've had that you've helped me enlighten my thinking on um and i'm sure people listening have as well where can people follow you uh yeah so i'm on um instagram anthony veryard v-e-r-y-a-r-d and the same on linkedin as well um you can also find me on ghost media so that's just ghostmedia.io um and that's where we actually run run um the facebook and influencer marketing campaigns so yeah Come say if you uh, if you uh, want to say hi, feel free to uh, send me a message. Awesome, and you'll have to let me know where you uh, end up traveling to after your three month break is over. Before and, uh, I get maybe we'll link up again. again. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, awesome. Yeah, man. man. Well, enjoy um, enjoy Guatemala. It sounds like, or or wherever <laughs> you end up in uh, in South America. Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. <laughs>